At this point, I want to encourage you to open in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 4. This is just after Jesus was baptized and he begins his ministry. So the first thing that happens when or immediately after Jesus is baptized is he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And so, brothers and sisters, we read the words of the gospel from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word to us. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the living God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. It is precious. It is true. It is truth itself. Grant that we would attend ourselves diligently to it and grant that we would come expectantly to it and grant that we would derive much good from it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters. So two weeks ago, or last time, uh, we were introduced to this year's Reformation study, which is kind of an in-depth look at sola scriptura, the doctrine that scripture alone is our final authority. And we, and we said that what made the Reformation doctrine so unique was the word sola, that the, the Catholic Church at the time, just like now, affirms that scripture is an authority. But in terms of it being final authority, they said that scripture was co-equal with their church tradition. And as is the case in every occasion where there's a human authority set against scripture, ultimately and invariably it becomes human tradition that is the final authority now as then. And so the Reformation doctrine said, no, Scripture by itself is the final authority. And so the doctrine of sola scriptura, we said, is known as the formal principle of the Reformation. It is the thing that provided the blueprint. So the doctrine of justification and, and, and all of the host of reforms that were made drew their pattern from Scripture. It is our authority, but you have to understand that sola scriptura is not merely an assertion of the authoritative nature of the Bible, though it is. There are lots of authorities out there, and in a diff one sphere of life or another, there's all sorts of ultimate authorities. But the Bible is not just authoritative, 
we would say that it, we stand in desperate need of the Bible. So the reformers and the pre-reformers before them, guys like Wycliffe and Tyndale, they labored earnestly to protect, preserve, and promote the word of God, not just because it's authoritative, but because we stand in desperate need of it. And if the word is absent, there is a hole there, there is a need that cannot be met by anything else. We stand in desperate need of Scripture because of what it is. And so to determine what it is and why it is that we have such a desperate need of it, why is it that Jesus would say to the devil, when the devil is talking about physical hunger, and you most definitely need food to maintain your physical life, but why is it that Jesus would respond to a question, a query, a challenge about physical hunger by saying that man lives not by bread alone, but that same word life is then modifying a spiritual aspect we're, we, we're told, and they're not necessarily the same, but we live by the word of God. So how can Jesus say that our lives are sustained and dependent upon the word of God? It's because of what the word is. So to understand the impetus behind the drive to defend scripture, we have to have a more robust understanding of what is entailed when we call scripture the word of God. Think back to what we said last week about inspiration. It's authoritative because it is inspired. Now, we sometimes have a far too short-sighted understanding of what is implied when it's called inspired. What we sometimes think is that it is limited to the fact that God in history, like way back then, put it in people's hearts, put it in people's minds, whatever, but he had them write words that he wanted them to write. And so those words are accurate, they're without error, they're true, they're reliable, but inspiration just means that the Bible is true. And that's, it's true that it means it's true. But there's something far more amazing that is implied and intended when we refer to Scripture as the Word of God. You see, the mystery, the mystery is that the Spirit and the word go together. The mystery is that the scriptures are attended by the word of God. Sorry, by the spirit of God. The scriptures are attended by 
the Spirit. This is why Jesus, after saying some hard things in John 6, in John 6, 63, he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken are Spirit and their life. Spirit and life. They go together. And thus, 1 Corinthians says that the word of God is spiritually discerned so that the natural person is not able to even understand them unless the spirit that attends the word opens the eyes and the ears and the hearts of the, of the one hearing it, they don't understand it. But it's the spirit attending the word of God that makes it, as in Isaiah chapter 55, 11, efficacious. What does the prophet say? The word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty. It shall succeed in its, in its purpose. It shall accomplish the thing for which I intend. Succeed, accomplish. Does that sound like something that's just letters on a page? Succeed, accomplish. It's missional. It's, it has the power in it. And that's because the scriptures are alive. We see that in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is what? Living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates and divides between the apparently indivisible to even discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, we learn in Scripture that the Spirit of God so attends the Word of God that you hear the very voice of God when you read the Scripture. That is why there is life therein and nowhere else. Not in church, not in tradition, not in science. You hear it in the word alone. We desperately need to hear the voice of God. And that is what we get in scripture. So specifically, there are four things that the voice of God, the spirit of God, the word of God tells us that we absolutely need. First, the word of God is necessary for an accurate knowledge of God's character. The Westminster Confession of Faith in its very first point admits that some aspects of God's uh, character are discernible in nature. And we learn that in Scripture, then Romans 1, that there are some aspects of God's character available to us in nature. But the Westminster divines wisely and correctly point out that there are things about God that are not available 
to you in general revelation. There are things about God you must know that are not available to you by looking at nature. And unfortunately, even the things that are available about God in nature have been suppressed. As we learn in Romans 1.18, the knowledge of God is suppressed by the wickedness of men. So we need Scripture to give us an accurate knowledge of God. No one knows the mind of a man except the spirit of the man. And so Paul tells us that no one knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. And so we are dependent upon the spirit revealing through his word about God's character. Second, we need scripture to understand the human predicament. Human societies throughout history have tried to figure out and tried to postulate why it is that everything is messed up. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? We've tried to figure it out. And you, you, the, 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 the theory du jour, borrowed from Marxism, is that it's class struggle. <laughs> that is just the tip of the iceberg if it is there. But Scripture tells you what is wrong with you. Scripture tells me what is wrong with me. And this is why I have, I can't even be at peace with myself, much less my neighbor. Even further, less my God. I need the Bible for an accurate understanding of our predicament. Third, the word is necessary for knowing God's will. How should we live? What's right? What's wrong? Scripture in general, Psalm 119 in particular, hammers home the necessity of God's word for understanding how God would have us live. Would you have God's will for your life? Then listen to his voice and read his word. Fourth, the word is necessary for spiritual life from beginning to end. One of the things that uh, Sola Scriptura does is it reminds us that it's Scripture alone and not other things that are the authority. And every tradition, every school of thought has their propensity to elevate something that ends up becoming a functional co-equal. And one of the things we have to remember is that insofar as Scripture is a final authority, it regulates us to the left and to the right. And in fact, God's Word tells us not to go to the left and to the right. And one of the things that it's possible to do, and it's somewhat common in the Reformed tradition, and I have a couple books, especially from the Dutch Reformed tradition, is you take a doctrine and you divorce it from the Bible and you start extrapolating out and you fulfill 
the dictum that systematics isn't really dependent on the Bible. It's just a philosophical and logical exercise. What do I mean? There's a way of postulating the sovereignty of God that undermines what the Bible has to say about the necessity of faith for salvation. I have read, I have reformed books where they call themselves consistent Calvinists, even though what they say literally undermines Romans 10. That we literally don't need to worry about sending missionaries. What does the Bible say, though? Because, you see, God is free. But when God constrains himself in his word, he's trustworthy and true. And we can bank our life on it. That's why we can have confidence that when he says he will save, he will save. Well, what does God's word tell us in Romans 10? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Beautiful passage. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he starts backwards engineering, reverse engineering this whole thing. How is it that they can call on someone they've never believed in? Okay? So Paul starts with the conclusion, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But in order to be saved and have called on the name of the Lord, you, you, you have to have believed in him. But how can you believe in someone you've never heard? Fair question. But then how can you hear without someone proclaiming it to you? But then how can someone have proclaimed it to you if they haven't been sent? And then he goes on. So faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. And Peter doubles down. It's like a tag team wrestling match. You know? Now it's his turn. In 1 Peter 1.23, after having exhorted people to love one another and show kindness and mercy and be godly, he says in 123, do all this since you have been born again through the living and abiding word. You see, the Spirit of God attends the Word of God. And as Bullinger is zealous to point out, there is a connection between the Word written and the Word proclaimed. But the Word of God is life to us, which is why Jesus says it's life to us in John 6, 63. Which is why Jesus, in today's passage, says that we live by every word that comes from his mouth. We need the word of God at the beginning of our spiritual lives, and we need it throughout. I've said it many times. John 17, 17 should be underlined in everybody's Bible. Because in his high priestly prayer, Jesus does what? He links, he connects 
your sanctification, that is your growth in godliness, your spiritual vitality, to the word. Sanctify them in the truth. So he doesn't say sanctify them, blah. He specifically provides the arena in which they will find their sanctification, the truth. And what is, in the, what, what is the truth? Your word is truth. So, would you grow in your faith? Would you? You must attend to the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we stand in desperate need of the Bible. God's word to us. It shapes us. It forms us. It builds us. And so my prayer is that we would come to it expectantly, hungrily, desperately, just like you do after a long day of working and then it's dinner time and you sit down almost ravenously to your plate of food. That same desperation should mark our hearts when it comes to his word. So we need it for our very lives. I challenge you, in the spirit of the Reformation, defend this word. Protect it. Fight for it. Be a steward, a good steward of it. It is not ours. It is his. And we've been entrusted to handle it well. But above all, lovingly, faithfully, and desperately, Apply yourself to it, standing in awe of it. It is life and spirit to you. Let us pray.